It's Cofield and Company. Company. Three seconds, no timeouts. Harper for the win. With 3.4 to go, get it to Harper with three, with two, with one. Harper for the win. Got it! Let's go! Let's go! Harper Jr. Let's go! Game winner at the buzzer. Let's go! And Rutgers upsets number one for you, 70-68. Let's go! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday, getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, 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 partying. Yeah! All right, Friday, 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 Friday. Cofield and Company. I think Ari genuinely feels good for moi. It's a rare feeling on the show that we actually uh, prop each other up and celebrate <laughs> instead of uh, chop busting every single day. Sadly, we found out yesterday, Adam, I don't know if you were listening, but uh, Willie Ramirez admitted that he came into the Cofield and Company fold um, as a different sort of person and that oftentimes he just leaves the show very angry, drives home very angry. I, I felt... Ari, did you, I mean, I guess it's not really Ari's fault, but uh, Ari, did you feel bad at all that like ultimate nice guy Willie on the show is like, eh, I leave in a mood a lot of days. No, like, no, oh. it's good for him. It's good. It's good to be around us. Trust me. Willie's awesome, but <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's good. The man's been working 30 years <laughs> in the media and the market has a good reputation and all of a sudden he's, we're going to spoil it for him <laughs> on, on uh, live local I, radio. I knew we worked in that way. I didn't know we worked that quickly. <laughs> it's been pretty um, quick. It does make me think there's another colleague of mine we might need to start having on the show. What, two to, to break? Two of them actually. To well, break, one to toughen up. I know uh, I know Ben does a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in the morning with the guys. He could use a little bit of us. I don't man, I don't want to do it to everybody. Well, I'll give and you And by the way, it's not just me. Cuz believe me, uh we we uh, we joked uh before the season when John Gruden was talking about uh, and he, and he he was talking about Trent Brown. With the energy vampire sure, comment, he sure. was. He didn't say Trent Brown directly, but the energy vampire thing is a very much a, a presence. Uh, Ari, myself, you, sometimes Candy. It was, uh, it was funny to, to go on that note. Uh, did you see Trent Brown on the long run by? Oh uh, yeah, by Harris. Oh, last I week? saw it. Yep. Just all fight like yeah. Yep. I was like, yeah. well, I guess may- maybe maybe it wasn't him. <laughs> maybe it was somebody in this building. Not Lotus. I mean, you know. oh, I, oh, I think Trent Brown's a kind of an up and down guy. But he was like so into it, so passionate. I mean, going back, maybe, maybe you know, it was the uh, pot calling the kettle something, right? John Gruden shouldn't be. Maybe he was an energy vampire. It didn't yeah. seem like it, but with his emails, uh, he certainly was zapping energy. But anyway, on Mr. Ramirez, uh, well, no, it, I mean him, but uh, you, wanna, I, you want us to toughen up some others? Yeah, I mean Ben is just Ben, but I think Ben Goats from the Review Journal covers the Golden Knights, and, and you can hear him on the mornings a little bit. He he is genuinely just. I don't think it's ever going to happen to him. Yeah. Like, I think no matter what, it's never I mean, going to happen. He's doing the morning show enough. Might happen. But I feel like my you know, my good friend and colleague Sam Gordon, I accused him recently of being uh, toxically positive. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Where he's so positive 
yeah. and so over the top, like complimentary that you start to be like, dude, this is not real. Stop it. Even though it this is. This is not real. It's genuine. You hate that. Oh, you, always, you always accuse people of being disingenuous. Yeah. Well, if they're he's, nice. He's the kind of person that will reach out to, like, coworkers and do things like, hey, man, read your, just read your story. Loved it. It was great. Great work. And you're like, I, I know you, there's, there's got to be something it's here. It's not good work. You're lying. There's got to be something here. There was something in there that was good, and you're covering it. But he's, genu- he's genuinely like that. I don't yeah. understand those people. Like, I'm starting to understand him a little more, working with him more, and, and kind of being friends with him. But... I just don't get those people. And I'm sure everybody in their workplace has those people that are genuinely just good, but you're just not comfortable around them. Mm-hmm. You're not. No, I, I never will be comfortable around positive people ever once. But I. It's trending at three. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Thing is, Ari, I gave you a prompt because you looked like you were dying to say something, and I gave you a prompt that you thought we were going yeah, to break. Right. That was yeah, that's what I thought. Was what were you going to say? Just being positive. No, I well, I was just going to agree. We have we have people like that in this building, and then uh, and it then, drives you nuts. Yeah, that's all. And then I got thrown off. So hey, trending right. at three. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Back to the show. Positive people are trending. Welcome. Yes. We did. We never. We never did hit what's trending to start, did we? We just went right into it. Yeah, that was yep. trending. Here that's we good. are. Here we are, everyone. Oh, that's good. You, 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 uh, you actually Moving did what along. you're supposed to do. We have to fire the sounder. <laughs> Conflict-free right. Friday. Here we go. This is what's trending. It's what's trending. Um, yeah, you hear a bunch of highlights from a basketball game yesterday. The funny thing is, I was talking. I actually never mentioned the game, but I was talking to Willie Ramirez uh, before. That was Rutgers beating Purdue. They beat a number one team. They were down 10, 12 in the game. Uh, they wound up winning on a half-court shot. You know, very cool moment if you're a fan of that team. But I had actually talked to Willie before the game. I was like, hey, do you bet against your teams? I think Willie only really has one team, hit the Cowboys. You know, I have like five or six teams that I care about. Um, I do not care about betting against them because the way I look at it, hey, if they play a close game or pull an upset, I, I win. So I'm going to make money if they're going to suck. You know, in that case, it was, uh, you know, it was a 13-and-a-half-point spread. So whatever. Yeah. It was It was, it was a – that was a cool scene. Um Rush the floor, you, you hit a half-court shot. It reminded me of some games that I was at, believe it or not. They actually won games <laughs> in the past, which actually... Women's games. It's No, they won men's games. Okay. Uh, when, when I was there, they, they made the NCAA tournament twice. Um, and since I was gone, they went on a 30-year drought, Rutgers did, without making an NCAA tournament. Isn't but, that when the NIT was the bigger tournament, though? No, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. But uh, but uh, it's funny, I had, someone, I had someone ask about like the biggest moments for the basketball program, and I was like, hey, it was pretty big. Um, I'm also of the mindset, like, they're in the Big Ten. Uh, I don't really believe Purdue's number one. They had an NCAA team last year, Rutgers did. Like, they should win this game. Like, it really should have been, like, a four-point spread had they not had a disastrous start to the season. So, like, my, my I was very excited to beat the number one team. But I'm also not, like, your traditional fan uh, for the kids who are there to get the rush to the floor. is freaking cool. Um, I don't think it's a case where you got to throw out there, you know, act like you've been there before. They hadn't beaten a number one team in the history of their program. Uh, going back to, I think, 81, they beat the number two team, UCLA. And, uh, you know, then I got a couple of responses where I was like, eh, you're raining on the parade. Shut up. You know, <laughs> someone's always got to ruin joy. But it, there were a bunch of cool videos that came out. A buzzer beater like that is neat. Ari got a bunch of the calls there. Um, and then it turned out that there's uh, some uh, chubby kid, right, who I guess is tied to Barstool. And he, he freaking nailed it with a video because he was just sitting in the crowd with the video on himself. And that was kind of the, the sound you couldn't really hear so much, but he just – He's watching. He watches Purdue score their basket, right? Go up with three and a half seconds left. Uh, Rutgers inbounds the ball. Ron Harper goes across the, the court. Yeah, that Ron Harper, the son of Ron Harper, who won five NBA titles, uh, goes across midcourt, hits it. But the kid is in the crowd, 
and he's got reflective glasses on, which I guess is now, uh, as Brent would say, kind of a Goomba thing in New Jersey to do. Uh, <laughs> indoors, you're wearing reflective reflective glasses, right? I can use it. Brent can't. Um, and you see the whole thing, like you hear the roar, and then the kid's just like, ah, 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 like because he's ga- he's chubby, so he's gassed. He's trying to get on the floor, and then he's just, you know, Rockers blank and one, blank and one, blank, and it's like, all right, there you go. So it's good. It's, it's, it's it, was a cool, it was a cool moment. So. Even I, who am very strict on when and when you can and can't. I was wondering court. about you as the court was getting filled up. I'm like, is Adam going to crap on this? No, I think beating the number one team, I think is, I think that warrants. Uh, it. And especially that way. Sure. On a freaking yeah. buzzer beater. Sure, yeah. You don't have like minutes to prepare for, all right, we're up seven and we're fouling here. You know, or, you know, they're fouling us. We're making free throws. It's not like that. It's, it's a dramatic win. They, you know, you well, escaped with a win. It's crazy. The other weird thing for me is a lot of times because I don't get done with the show until later. You know, a lot of games start at four o'clock with the East East Coast teams. Um, I like shut down and I watched it on tape delay. And I saw that I got a text from someone, and I actually turned off my phone because uh, score alerts will come up. But sure. I saw I got a text from someone. It's someone who would not text me, but to say close effort or nice win and down the stretch i was like what did he what was he thinking like what did he mean that did they win this did they lose it and i saw him getting closer and i was i was like really sweating it i'm like i think they lost close and then they <laughs> and then they won on a buzzer beater so uh, did you uh, run around the cofield estate you know what's funny is um the other thing that happens at the it's not an estate the other thing that happens at the house is um the so is almost never around when they're on tv because it is the thing i get worked up most about at you know 50 plus years old sure. you know your, your school um because the jets have just they've they've beaten the life <laughs> out of me um and la- last year i did cry uh I, I said it you know i cried when the jets won because they they lost the opportunity to get trevor lawrence uh but she she often says she's like i'm not staying around for games so she was going outside a lot she was outside it's getting cold too <laughs> she was outside and she happened to come in i was like yeah they got a chance here you know watching on on uh on the dvr and so she got to enjoy the moment so it was cool I'm surprised she doesn't have a score alert set up on her phone so that she knows right, she spoils it. whether or whether or not to watch it. Uh, like if, if they're going to lose, she goes outside. If they're gonna yeah. lose, there's, a, there's a lot of times the next day with both UNLV and with Rutgers, she's like, eh, I saw how they did. <laughs> like, yeah, wasn't so hot this time around. <laughs> so, you know what? I want to take a time out here because I have a feeling you'll, you'll have a couple of crosswords. Because uh, you had a great day yesterday, too. One of your, I think, I think you have very few like favorites that you root for in pro sports. And someone had a really good day yesterday that I think would probably had you over the moon for a couple of minutes. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. I have felt like there was only one time, and I may have said it after a game, where I didn't feel like the same energy was there. But for the most part, our guy, our coaches do a fantastic job of getting us ready to play, and uh, that's their job is to motivate us, you know, give us a plan that we feel great about and love and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and go into it and, and fire. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. Yeah, everyone's amateur psychologist, all right? Trying to break down what's going on, why are there slow starts, why are the Raiders falling on hard times. We'll get to all that. We're going to talk to Coach Joe, making his debut for this year, college basketball breakdown a little bit later on. And a lot on the Raiders as Stanford Route is going to join us. Also, Mark McMillan, two former NFL players. 
Stanford, of course, played for both the Chiefs and the Raiders. Mark played for the Chiefs, so a lot to say on the rivalry as well. Just to finish up on uh, some happy moments yesterday, <laughs> rare for Cofield and company. My college basketball team won a, the game, beat the number one team on a buzzer beater. That was cool. Um, sure. But I was actually I was thinking of Adam for much of the day because uh, you don't have a lot of favorites that you actually root for. But I remember how into the A.J. Cole story you were. Oh, yeah. Your first year on the beat. Going up to Napa, covering uh, the Raiders in Oakland. First of all, and before look, you even look, say look, that. Look at how this has turned out. Thank you, before you even say that. Because I have been accused of being late to the A.J. Cole party. Late? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I was borderline <laughs> infuriated with our content that year. I'm like, how much are you going to cover with the Johnny Towns and A.J. Cole battle, bruh? Enough. It turns out he beat out Johnny Townsend, I, and I was right. I, I was all over that. You called it from the get-go, and then you loved when it happened, and now the guy's got a long-term contract, and they've locked up their kickers. And he's on the verge of the NFL record for most gross punt average in a season. Now, he said yesterday he doesn't want that record. Um, he said I don't gross punting, no. It's net punting and, yeah! and field by the way, maybe someone someone should tell the college folks who gave out the Ray Guy Award yesterday because <laughs> the best net punter didn't win it. The best gross punter, who often just recklessly booted the hell out of the ball into the end zone and actually gave up a, a punt return touchdown, Matt Ariza, who everyone celebrates, not the net leader. But anyway, keep going. Yeah, he said he said my only job isn't it's my job's not to kick it far. It's nothing. It's how close to their own goal line does an offense have to start when I kick it. So. Um, he's not interested in that record. I asked him if it was like a, a no hitter where you can't talk about it, but he said, no, I can talk about it because I don't want it, uh, which is, which is pretty good. Um, he's hilarious by the way. Now the, I believe we are being restricted is not the right word. I would love if AJ Cole talked every week at practice. Uh, I don't think they're going to allow that to happen. I think we get him like once a year and then yesterday, cause he signed a contract, we get him. um, but he definitely just uh, brings a different uh, lightness yeah. to the room. It's good. By the way, punters really shouldn't talk because they sometimes are not responsible. To go back to, I mean, this is a very deep uh, you know, point I'm making here, kind of buried. But that kid might arise at San Diego State actually did guarantee a victory against Utah State in their <laughs> oh, final boy. game. And oh, I, when I, I didn't see it until a week later. And I'm like, bro, you're the punter. <laughs> right. you, you, can't, you can't start guaranteeing victories. Like, like Mike McCarthy, who can barely coach, guaranteeing victories is one thing. The punter can't do it. It was a big day for punters and money overall yesterday, though, because obviously he gets his money. AJ Cole gets a big contract. And Pat McAfee, second best radio show on radio, it's only Cofield. High, highest paid in sports radio uh, now after, wow. uh, after his sportsbook deal. Wow. And I, I wanted to ask AJ Cole about Pat McAfee deal. I was beat to it. Kevin Bollinger from Channel 5 was right? like, hey, man, punters are uh, – Punters are having a day. Is AJ Cole thinking about retiring and going into radio? Well, he did say – out. You can make more money. He said, radio or not, he said, if that company wants to pay me $30 million a year for anything, I'll do anything. He's ready. Uh, just so you know, you had a language violation. Uh, we're not – I last week I banned baseball talk on the show. Oh. That includes any baseball terminology. You said well, no hitter. Oh. Ari, Ari, just called you out. Going in the swear jar. I wasn't here. But well, now you know. No, I said the day the, day the day the lockout started. Now I actually broke my own rule, but I explained it because I wanted to talk about it with Xavier Pope. But I'm, we're not doing it. I'm not following any of it. Aren't you talking baseball now? We're not doing the ups and downs. Exactly. 
but I have to state it to you. And then when when Candy's I, back on, I'll can say I get, it one more time. Can I get everything out right now, just so I, can, so I not, don't have to violate the language violation anytime soon? Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. Now, back to Cofield and Company. With 3.4 to go, get it to Harper with three, with two, with one. Harper for the win. Got it! Let's go! Let's go! Harper Jr. Let's go! Game winner at the buzzer. Let's go! And Rutgers upsets number Let's one. Let's go! Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let's go! Let us go Let's go! Let every heart Let's go! One second. One second, Chevy Chase style. When the lights don't go on, he starts to sing it as he's getting ready to light up his house. And he's like, joy to the world. If baseball terminology is banned, then Christmas songs are banned also. Uh, by the way, anytime during the holiday season, I can get a Rutgers buzzer beater against the number one team in the country and combo it with Jim Neighbors all over it. I don't think that's going to happen again. But it's a once in a lifetime. I'll cherish it for now. <laughs> yeah. Joe Esposito is back. The coach. Coach Joe is with us. What's up, Joe? What's up? So I, I knew I was going to hear that. I, I just knew for some reason I was going to hear that freaking Harper shot. I just knew it was coming. Why, why wouldn't you? Come on, man. Come on. I know. Seriously. You know, your boys from Rutgers, they got a tough game coming up next. But, you know, that was a big win for them. And those are the kind of shots that give you momentum. You know, when you hit a big shot like that and you beat the number one team in the country, you know, and people were really praising Purdue and how tough they were. And that's a big win. That's a big win for Rutgers, big win for their league. Well, they needed it. They actually lost three games previously this season on buzzer beaters, so they had one go for them. I will tell you this. Uh, Purdue, I thought, got a little reckless at both point guard, and Ivy gets a little out of control. But, my God, they are a matchup with uh, Travion Williams coming off the bench at 280 pounds and this Zach Eady kid at 7'4", 290. If they're not going to police you know, his physicality, he, he is rough to defend and stop. Yeah, no question. You know, that's one of the things Purdue's always had through the years, even when – I was in that league. You know, they do a great job of recruiting big kids. You know, they got big, strong kids. The problem, like you said, is though those guards. They get out of control, you know, and that's the problem. Not a, it's, my, it's a problem with my team. I mean, guards like to get out of control and take bad shots and don't play the game the way it's supposed to be played, and it hurts you. If you pass the ball and take good shots, the whole game will change, and that's what you're seeing in college basketball, the game being played the right way. Um, you were at Minnesota. You know, you mentioned that sort of in the Big Ten and, you know, I remember watching last year, Marcus Carr averaged 20 points a game, but there was just things about his game that freaking drove me nuts. He's out of control. Sometimes he's, he, you know, he, he kind of loses uh, track of what the hell's going on in the game. And, you know, it's weird. Texas has this all-star team. Marcus Carr has not really adjusted well. He's not a big scorer right now. And Texas lost last night to, I think, a, a good Seton Hall team, but probably a team they shouldn't lose to. Yeah, you know, they had a cold spurt there. They went seven minutes and 20 seconds without scoring. Texas did. And, uh, you know, Marcus Carr, I've watched him being from Minnesota, you know, coaching at Minnesota. I kind of watched him pretty closely. And, you know, his freshman year, he scored 10 points a game. Sophomore, he got to 15. Junior year, 19. And now he's averaging nine. And more importantly, his field percentage is the lowest it's ever been. And his three-point percentage is the lowest it's ever been. So I think that he's kind of regressed a little bit. Now, he is on a pretty good Texas team. I still think they're a contender. I really do. I, I don't know. 
you know, how far they'll go. He put a lot of pieces together. I don't know if they have that great score. I don't know Carr's the guy. But, um, you know, their only losses to Gonzaga and Seton Hall. And Seton Hall, to me, is a top 25 team. I think it's some team that no one's really reckoned with or thought about that was going to be really good this year. And he's done a great job at Seton Hall. And remember, their only losses to Ohio State, uh, number 21 in the country, on a late, a late three-pointer. So I think you're going to see Seton Hall have a really good year and have a chance to get in that Final Four. Yeah, I'll throw this out there that uh, Seton Hall better enjoy Kevin Willard because if I were Maryland, that's who I'd be looking at. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting fire. You know, you fire a guy before conference play even starts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, is that is that what they're trying to do? Sometimes when you fire a guy early, is that what you're trying to do, trying to get a jump on the, the market to see who's out there? And uh, that's got to be what they're doing because now, you know, Danny Manning, who didn't have any success at Wake Forest, is now the head coach at Maryland this year. And I don't think Maryland can have a great year. So, Joe, uh, way too much of last year was taken away by COVID. Obviously, uh, you know, two seasons ago, we lost the NCAA tournament. Uh, and last year was a lot about managing COVID. And, man, as we come out of Thanksgiving, we're starting to see it. Some schools having trouble. Washington's losing a bunch of games here. They, they, uh, they had a Sunday game against Gonzaga. Go by the wayside. I just wonder what coaches are thinking this time around uh, with COVID. And, by the way, right now, Reno is having troubles with it. They had to dump a couple of games. Yeah, you know, I, I think the COVID thing is back, and it is for real. And, and you know, the thing that has to do with Washington is they lost with the third straight game to COVID, and they had two great games. They had Arizona, number 11 in the country, and they had UCLA, number four, and they lose those games, and they lose a game against Gonzaga. So that big meat of their schedule where, you know, they played against the best teams in the country, maybe they're faking it. I mean, that's what Adam Hill's probably thinking. Maybe they're faking that they have COVID. Remember I told you guys last year <laughs> – if a team wants to get out of a game, just go start licking handrails. Lick the rails. Just start licking the walls. I told you guys last year. But the Reno situation is weird because they're 100% vaccinated. And I think North Texas was the one that actually canceled that game. But talking about Reno, you know, they, they started off kind of rocky. People were talking about how great they're going to be this year. But they have won three in a row. They beat George Mason, who's decent. They beat Washington and Pepperdine. And I'll tell you this, they lost to some good teams. San Diego's 5-5. Five and five. Santa Clara seven and three, and look out for San Francisco. They're a team that I'm. I, I really think they're better than people think. They're ten and zero. They did beat UNLV in Fresno. I think the big game is back here for them is going to be if they can play with um, GCU here in Phoenix the 18th. I plan on going to that game. That'll be a good one. Yeah, I got to see San Fran up close uh, going up there with UNLV, and uh, they've got a great point guard. They've got two good guards, you know, with Bouye and and uh, Shabazz, and then they've got some good big men. As well, so you know, while we're mentioning uh, UNLV, have you been paying attention? So five and four uh, ran into a rust bell there with a couple of road games where they lost by twenty plus. Competed for about thirty minutes against UCLA. You know, fell short late against Wichita. It's been it's a difficult schedule. I, I think they're still in decent shape to have a good year, but um, they got to get better offensively. Obviously, they got to get a more cohesion offensively. You know, I, I really don't see it that much. You know, I've watched a few of their games and. 20 in the net. They haven't beat any quad one teams yet, 0-3. Haven't beat any quad two teams, 0-2. I mean, they really only have four wins, to be honest with you, because remember last year I made fun of that school in Phoenix. They played Whittier College. Who is Whittier College? I mean, is that NAIA Division Seven? I haven't even heard of them. I mean, I don't know why you play those games. I said it last time last year, and I'll say it again. Why do you play those teams? It does nothing for your team to go out there and beat a team by 60. It gives you false hope. It gives you a false sense of security. 
and I just think that doesn't help. Go out and play a better schedule, play against some good teams, and you'll get way more out of it in the long term with your program. It's uh, it's interesting. They're trying to get more balanced. They came out of the gates, and it was all Bryce all the time, always going left, Bryce Hamilton. And the last two games, he actually did a pretty good job of making sure he wasn't shooting mid-range jumpers, uh, get to the cup, or throw it outside. So Bryce's role as a facilitator actually could be the key to the season. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he is developing better. Like When I coached him that first year at UNLV, I just always told you guys, I think you really need to work on his shot, and you need to work on his decision-making in the paint. And uh, I think you're starting to see that more. He's got to look to pass the ball. You know, you're way more effective when you get in the paint and you pivot and you pass it out for a good wide-open shot rather than trying to take the ball inside yourself. So I think he really did uh, improve, and I'm hoping that he can definitely carry that squad. A former UNLV coach is having some success up in Iowa. Are you surprised by how well Iowa State has played early? You know, he got the right guys. He you know, two senior transfers, one from Minnesota and one from Penn State, have been really good for him. I mean, the Brookington kid, he's got 19 points a game. He's shooting 47% from three. Uh, he's a kid that transfers from Penn State. I mean, that kid's a pro. And then the kid from UNLV that he has, the grill kid, just believes in his system and has been pretty steady. You know, he's beating some good teams. He's beating Xavier. He's beating Memphis. He's beating Creighton in Iowa. I mean, the test is going to be, you know, and he's got that great freshman. That kid Tyrone Hunter, ooh, is that kid good? I mean, he's a solid player. So he did get some good recruits, but the real test is going to be, could he beat my boys January 1st? Could he beat Baylor? And if you're asking right. me, Baylor's the number one team in the country in my eyes. I'll say, I've said it for three years now. They're going to be in the Final Four. They've already beaten Michigan State, Arizona State, BCU. Sunday they got Villanova. I think, once again, they're going to have a great year. And you remember our boy, JTT. Is definitely a big part of that program, and I really think Baylor is one of the better teams in the country. They're better than Gonzaga? You know, I, I do think so. I, I, I tell you, you know, Gonzaga has lost two. This is the key to Gonzaga. It's the big boy Holmgren. You know, he's going to be one of the better picks in the draft. He'll be a top three pick. When you look at the top three picks in the NBA draft right now, you're looking at the kid at Duke, Banchero, which is real interesting. He goes so hard, he loses seven weight a game. Huh. I mean, that, that is, that's how hard he goes. And you want to talk about a guy that has this, and I had a chance to work him out last summer, and I was so impressed by that kid. And the number two pick, or vice versa, Jabari Smith from Auburn, I had a chance to coach him last year. Um, he's also another great freshman. And then there's a Chet Holmgren kid. If he keeps doing what he's doing for Gonzaga, because they know what they've got, he comes through with his, his last two games, has two double-doubles. He's starting to get steady. If he can continue to do that, I think Gonzaga definitely obviously got a chance. But I like Baylor. I really like UCLA. I think UCLA's got a good squad. I like their, their balance and their depth. And I really like Arizona. Not because I live in Arizona. They got four starters, averaging double digits. I mean, they go nine deep. They're number one team in the net right now. They beat Michigan. And I think Arizona's got a chance to be pretty good. Well, that, that was actually leading right into my next question of, like, why is this team so good so quickly? You know, the co Arizona, we're talking the coaching change. Yeah. I think they brought in, you know, Tommy Lloyd, who, who I think's got just a great culture. I think he's about winning. I think he's got those kids bought in. I mean, I think his, his team is, is just, you know, really solid. I like the way they play. I just watched them the other night, and, 
you know, they got a bunch of hard-nosed guys. There was a ball on the floor, and three guys dove on it. And I'm saying, you know, you win with those kind of kids. You know, it's just about having that toughness. I mean, these prima donna kids that are out there, they don't last. I mean, if you're not willing to take the sacrifice, take a charge, dive on the floor, play the game the way it's supposed to be played, he's got those kind of kids. And look like one of those teams that's going to be able to overachieve this year. They're sitting at 8-0. I love their depth. And, uh, you know, they got two guys shooting over 60% from the field. So they're taking good shots. So I think that Arizona is going to be a real tough team uh, the rest of the way. And uh, hopefully they can make a run as well. Yeah, I was impressed by Arizona. I got to see them up close against Michigan. They're cocky, too. And uh, you, you look out there, it looks like they've got, you know, 25-year-old European dudes. Uh, and some of these guys are brought into the program. Tubelis is, is real good. So they're uh, an experienced team. Uh, Chris uh, from Estonia, really, really good team. All right, let's talk about – um, I, I guess this is one of the wraps on the FBI investigation. That this this is it. This is what they got. Chuck Person got in all this trouble, and Auburn got what out of this? They got like a two game penalty and a slap on the wrist. Well, Bruce Pro gets two game penalty, which is a joke. Hmm. I mean, I I don't know how that happens. I mean, he's he you know the head coach is in charge of the program, and I think the penalty should have been a little more. You would think, and they get on probation for four years. But what does that mean? They fine them five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars a college basketball team is, you know, <laughs> nothing. And then they their budget goes down three percent. I mean, come on. I, yeah. I just I think the NCAA should have been a little bit more stricter on some of these deals and should have penalized some of these teams a little bit uh, more. And uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, that's just the way the game is. Now that you have this name image likeness, I think that you're going to see a lot of more legal cheating going on, where they're going to be able to do these things without getting in trouble. And the rich are going to get richer. Those teams that are, you know, always year in and year out at the top are going to stay there, and uh, it's going to be interesting. But let's look at the winner of the week and a loser of the week. Let me tell you this. <laughs> Texas Southern, you know, I just get excited when I talk to you guys because, you know, I'm coaching high school, man. I miss, I miss college. I miss ESPN. I miss it. But let me tell you this. <laughs> Texas Southern, Johnny Jones beating Florida, number 20 in the country. How about that? I mean that was a great that was a great game and I love I love watching Texas Southern play they play so hard and how about the bonehead coach of the year Arkansas Pine Bluff he makes his team run a sprint during a timeout now, Adam I don't know how you feel you'll probably say oh it's cool it's not cool how are you going to get a recruit to go there if I'm recruiting against Arkansas Pine Bluff I can beat them out at Caesar Chavez I'll just say look you want to go play for that guy you play for him you're going to be on the sideline embarrassed. Because you have to run sprints during the timeout. Not a good look. Not a good it, it, That play there is as dumb as Maryland firing Turgeon in the middle of the year right now. Let, this, let the season play out, man. This be available. Come on, man. Joe, Sorry. you're awesome. Glad to have you back. We'll talk to you next week, okay? You guys are the best, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, there man. There he is, Coach Joe. Joe knows. Coach Joe Sun knows, too. He is kicking booty in our fantasy football league, Well, he was. I've been struggling. I've been struggling. There's actually a ton of good games tomorrow. Uh, BYU-Creighton, a couple of uh, mid-majors there. Uh, UCLA-Marquette is interesting. Arizona and Illinois, so you'll get all that Arizona size against uh, Kofi Coburn, who's another one of those Big Ten bigs who's like 7 foot, 300 pounds. Good stuff. Houston-Alabama, too. That's a good one. Uh, Arizona, Illinois, is that's number one on my list for tomorrow. I know. Wisconsin takes on Ohio State. And, of course, in town, we tweeted it out. Free tickets. Free You 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 asked for it. You got it. Right? I, I was ranting the other day. I'm like, they can't give out free tickets. They're going to do it. 
Renner Rebels, Hartford tomorrow noon, 1130 right here with the pregame on ESPN Las Vegas. But uh, up on all of our Twitter accounts, uh, there's a link. You can go get free tickets. It's Hartford. It's UNLV. Mandalay Bay is an awesome basketball arena. They put a lot of money into it. Um, the sight lines are tremendous. So go see the basketball game tomorrow as the Rebels try to go on this you know, uh, upward climb here before they meet up the beginning of the new year. On New Year's Day, they will open up conference play with San Diego State. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. The Chiefs are, you know, one of those teams that we got to beat to get to where we want to be. So every time we play them, we know there's a little bit of extra meaning. There's bragging rights on the line. There's divisional bragging rights, divisional standings, all that stuff. That all comes into play when we're playing them. And right now we're right in the mix. We just got to show up with the right mind state and go out there and play good football, just taking it one play at a time. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Well, this is a massive game, and the Raiders should be max motivated for it. Not that the Chiefs won't be, but the Raiders season is on the brink here. They got just pummeled the first time around, 41-14. to 14. Stanford route played for both teams. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? What's going on, Steve? Happy to be back uh, on with you, man. Yeah, a lot's going on. Adam Hill is here as well. And I, I, before we get to the, the, the second matchup in this series, I just want to go back to your playing days. Do you remember one side or the other taking the game more seriously, being more intensive in the Raiders-Chiefs rivalry? Uh, no, I probably couldn't uh, depict a side taking it more serious. I think it was pretty equal yeah. uh, from uh, from my uh, vantage point on both sides of that rivalry, even though obviously I was on the Raiders side much longer than the Kansas City side. Right. Uh, but no, both fan bases, both teams, they take it equally as hateful, <laughs> a yeah. healthy hate uh, hatred uh, for the opponent. Yeah, we know, uh, you know, Gruden stoked the flames last year by doing his bus ride after the victory <laughs> in Kansas City. Let's go back to the first meeting. What did you see, and especially from the Raiders' defensive plan where, you know, John Abram just got torched. They put him in a position where, you know, he's actually having to play a little more coverage, and he got targeted nine times. He gave up 127 yards and two touchdowns. What did you see in that one? And then, like, what do the Raiders have to do this time around? They can't try to do the same thing again defensively. I think the Raiders got to basically employ the same type of game plan that they had that they pretty much that they pretty much helped the entire league go ahead and use this season, which is helping other teams be successful against the Kansas City Chiefs. Last year at Arrowhead, I believe it was week five, they played a lot of cover two. They stayed, they kept everything in front of them. They made sure to take away the deep ball from uh, you know, from uh from Tariq Hill and all those guys. And I think that's what they got to get back to. Uh I was at the game a couple weeks ago when they played on Sunday night football against Kansas City Chiefs in Las Vegas and it appeared that they started running more man covers, things like that, because you're seeing guys run scot-free, wide open down the field, and that's what kind of got Pat Mahomes back on the upward swing as far as throwing deep passes, things like that, as far as them being successful on the offense side of the ball. I think they got to get back to the same type of game plan that they used last year in Week 5 and what you saw Tampa Bay use in the Super Bowl. you got to keep everything in front of you, make Pat Mahomes be a methodical patient quarterback and most quarterbacks outside of number 12 out there in tampa bay they do not have the patience to go all the way down the field simply throwing a eight yard check down nine yard curl for 10 to 12 plays and also without having the offense commit some sort of a holding penalty a false start somebody gives up a, a sack somebody has a illegal procedure something like that so i think that they have to make the chiefs go the long hard way and that's something they're going to have to go ahead and they did last year but they're going to have to go ahead and bring that back this time around at arrowhead 
Some uh, some great stats uh, to point out. As you mentioned, you can't commit the penalties. You can't help them out. Uh, the last 10 defensive penalties the Raiders have committed, opponents have scored on those drives. Not good. Oh, wow. So yes. you got you to avoid that. Uh, but let me let me dig into this you know, defensive philosophy a little bit. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the blueprint is there. We've seen teams all season long play that you know two deep shell against Kansas City. And it, Kansas City's offense has struggled. It's been stagnant. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. They only had one breakout game. That was, of course, against the Raiders, who didn't play that way. But here's the dilemma that they face, in my mind, and I'll, I'll get your take on it. We mentioned Jonathan Abram. If you played too deep, that means Jonathan Abram is in coverage more. He's not at the box like he's more comfortable with this year, and he's you know playing around the line of scrimmage. He's got to cover somebody. Steve mentioned that stat from last game. I'll go back to Abram's entire career. Against Mahomes and Abram's career, he's been targeted 15 times. 14 receptions, 198 yards, three touchdowns. <laughs> he's been he's been burned. So if you do yes. play that way, all of a sudden Abram has to cover somebody. Do you, do you have to just say, all right, he's not playing in this game, or do you have, do you have to hide him? What do you do with him? I mean, you could go ahead and put him in more at the outside back or nickel back type position, and then leave uh, Trayvon Morig and somebody else back deep who you know is probably a little bit more a uh, little bit more patient. Somebody has a little bit better eyes as far as being back playing that left field center field type position where they're staring at the quarterback keeping everything in front of them so i mean we look at it like this jonathan abrams was uh, on the las vegas raiders in the 2020 season and the las vegas raiders walked into kansas city and they beat the kansas city chiefs at arrowhead stadium or g high stadium or whatever it's called right now so <laughs> clearly that the raiders can do it and there's a place for jonathan abrams now we see last year at allegiant stadium on Sunday night football last year. You see, it's a close game coming right down to the waning seconds. Pat Mahomes has the ball. He goes, he's trying to elude the pass rush. He steps up in the pocket. Jonathan Abrams comes out of his deep position, and that's when they're able to throw the ball over his head for the touchdown, which then led them to winning the game last year, Sunday night football, the second time the Chiefs played the Raiders. So I think that for Jonathan Abram, we all know he's a hitter. He loves to come up and thump people. So you got to go ahead and let him do what he does best. That's being in the box. Go ahead, be physical, thump people, but do not put him in positions that are not conducive for his skill set, a la that are not conducive for him being successful. That's simply being a coach right there. So when you're when you're trying to put together a defensive game plan for a specific opponent, like they do have to plan for the Chiefs this week, uh, if the the optimal strategy that everybody has kind of laid out is so much different than what you usually do, how much do you how much do you just say okay we have to go with what everybody else does and try to play that this week, and how much do you say hey this is what we do and if if they beat us they beat us. I think that there's a few different ways that you can go ahead and look at that. Number one, I would not say that that's vastly different than what we do because the Raiders did that last year and were successful with it in week five. And I think that's what Tampa Bay, that's the blueprint they used in the Super Bowl, which obviously it just went ahead and exposed the Chiefs on a much grander scale in the Super Bowl. But the Raiders did the same exact thing in week five. That's how they were able to be successful. So I don't think that it's something that's vastly different than what they do. Now, you can also take the mindset of, okay, we're going to do what we do. And if we lose doing what we do, hey, then you know what? Tip our hat to them. I think that once you get into certain situations, as a D coordinator, you also have to you you also have to have the discretion of okay, if I know that I got a square peg and it's going to take a circular shaped one to actually win this game, then come on, 
I can't just continue to beat my head against the wall with that square peg. Like, I mean, obviously you can be dumb, tough, but that still equals a, 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 a an L in the loss column. So you got to have some level of discretion. That's why it's called coaching. You got to be able to do what? Adapt. What makes Bill Belichick the greatest of all time? He knows how to do what? It starts with an A. He knows how to adjust. I mean, we just saw on Monday Night Football, Mac Jones threw the ball three damn times the entire game. And that's because they knew, hey, Buffalo Bills are weak against the run. Let's go ahead and run the ball against them and go ahead and just run out this clock. So I think for a, for a defensive coordinator, you also have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to go ahead and see exactly what works against said offense and be able to employ that within the framework, the confines of the defensive philosophy you still like to do. But I don't think that by any means you should be dumb tough to the point to where I'm going to go down swing and doing it my way and then be okay with that because then that becomes another all season maybe a bit of a weird question i don't know how uh how the different uh position groups interact i don't know how you uh how you defensive backs feel about linebackers uh but the like the entire linebacking core for the raiders is on the injury report this week a couple of them are going to be able to play but it's it's really thin pickings at that position right now and you know you're you're two basically two injuries away in the game from guys that already hurt from not even having any linebackers that know the system or are ready to go. How, how difficult is that to go into a game when it's not only an injury to somebody, it's like the whole position group is affected. Yeah, I mean, everybody just has to go ahead and band together. It is now December 10th right now. The game will be played in two days on December 12th. That is a part of football. I don't care what team it is. Somebody in the NFL right now who's in the playoff race, every team, they are battling some sort of injury or some sort of attrition. It is a long season. It's a 17-game season now. So as far as the health, the only time that you're extremely number 100% healthy is the first day of training camp, maybe the first game of the season. But once you start to get past Thanksgiving, it is all about who can play banged up. Everybody in the NFL right now has some sort of ailment, some sort of soreness, something. Now, they may not be on the injury report with a sore shoulder or, let's say, a knee injury, something like that. But everybody has something that right now it hurts on them when they get out of bed or before they get up to the facility and they go ahead and, you know, step in the hot tub or something like that. So everybody's going to be battling that. Now, obviously, it's not fortunate for the Raiders to have everybody in the, in the linebacking group on the injury report. But all I'm simply saying is that's a part of football. And whenever you're making that playoff run late in the season, that's something that you just have to go ahead and fight through because everybody else is going through a version of the same thing. So nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Some people will be like, okay, you know, I feel for y'all, but the Chiefs are not going to take it easy on the Raiders because they got a lot of people on the injury report. Pat Mahomes still going to go out there and try to throw for five, six touchdowns. You're going to have them try to go ahead and run the ball down the Raiders' throat. You're going to have Chris Jones go ahead and try to sack Chris uh, uh, Derek Carr. So it's not something that by any means you're going to have any team go ahead and take it easy on you. You just got to fight through it as, as unpleasant and as difficult as it might be. So I will say from sitting in the facility every day, uh, the media is constantly refreshing the weather forecast. The coaches – are constantly refreshing the weather forecast. <laughs> yeah. Are the players? Do the I mean, do the players just do they just for somebody to tell them, or are you guys like obsessing over? Because it? it looks like they're going to get very lucky with nice weather on Sunday in Kansas City. Yes, yeah, it looks like that. As a player, you already know. Once I mean, as a player, you're looking through the schedule whenever everything comes out. What in April or May or whatever in, in the off season, and you're looking and once you know, okay, once we get to November, and it, and I look at the schedule, I already know if I see Kansas City and it's an away game. 
in November, December, I already know to expect cooler weather. Now, it may not be snowing, may not be five degrees, but I'm not expecting it to be warm and sunny. I can definitely go ahead and say that. If I see Buffaloes on the schedule, Pittsburgh, the Jets slash Giants, uh, the Cleveland Browns, the Baltimore Ravens, whoever, Green Bay Packers, I know that come November and December, I am going to be in a game or two where it is, let's just say, cooler weather. may not be cold, but it's going to be cooler weather. So as a player, you already know that's coming. November and December, it's coming. It doesn't matter whether uh, it's going to be one game or you're going to get roped into playing five or six games in cold weather, but you know it's coming. So uh, as a player, it, it, you just know that it's a part of the territory. I can tell you guys just like this. I remember back in, it was, I want to say it was year three. We played Green Bay at Green Bay in 2007. We lost that game. And that was a game, I think kickoff is maybe 12 degrees, something like that. Cleveland in 2009, it was 32 degrees of kickoff, but not really that cold. But for some reason, just that air, coming off of lake erie from uh that canadian air something like that just felt colder so uh after playing in green bay you just kind of get to a point where like okay i've done the frozen tundra so nothing else will ever be cold to me ever again because i know that i can endure it and as a player you just know that comes with the territory if you want to play in the nfl are you saying i should buy a jacket before i go to cleveland next weekend uh, uh let's <laughs> ask yourself this it will be it will be December 18th in Cleveland. And mind you, I don't know if you've ever been to the stadium. You can jump from the stadium into Lake Erie. That's how close it is uh, to the water. So, right, and it's connected to Canada. So you got that Canadian air coming right off that water right there by the stadium. So I'm just going to go ahead and let you use your own discretion, <laughs> your own context clues. December 18th, Cleveland, Ohio, you do the math. <laughs> he's not going to do the math. He's not going to have a jacket. Oh, he's a, a glad. <laughs> have a yeah. He'll have a, a little sweatshirt, which is uh, amazing stuff. Uh, Stanford, have a good weekend, man. We appreciate the time today. Yeah, appreciate you guys, man. Y'all be good. I'll talk to y'all next week. Thanks, there he is, Stanford route coming up. We're going to talk to Mark McMillan, another one of our football insiders who played for the Chiefs. He'll break down what's going on with the Raiders, especially when it comes to starting out games slow on offense. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios.